Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Dr. Molazan is one of those special people who has seen the need and been willing to specialize in this most difficult area, working with families who cope with loss. Dr. Mollison is a clinical director of Supporting Kids, the Center for Grieving Children and Their Families, a nonprofit agency in Wilmington, Delaware, that provides support groups and educational programs for bereaved families, as well as community education and consultation to professionals who work in with bereaved children. Val, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, and, and the support you're giving your community is amazing. Heidi and I were just absolutely um, blown away, weren't we, Heidi, with the materials you sent about your program. I'm really happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. They, are, they are fabulous, and they are so comprehensive, but they are not too lengthy. It's almost like you could use your information as a, re- a quick reference guide. Well, one thing you notice when you're working with bereaved families is they don't have a lot of uh, ability to concentrate for long periods of time. There's so much going on emotionally and in terms of trying to adjust to day-to-day things that the way that people digest information when they're in this crisis state really is in smaller chunks and in, in ways that can be immediately of, of assistance. So I do try to mo- make the uh, materials we provide both in our support groups as well as in our written materials uh, very digestible. It, it is. And one, th- I, one thing I wanted to say while we're still on the topic, two things I absolutely loved. I mean, in working with grieving children, I found that some teachers and some schools are fabulous and they really understand what it's like to lose a family member and other teachers really don't understand the toll it takes on concentration and behavior, et cetera. And two things you have in here, which I think every... And by the way, this is a booklet. Can, can our audience get your booklets? Absolutely. Um, people can email me or uh, go online to our um, website. Okay, can you give them your email? Sure. Quickly? My email is Val Molazon, V-A-L-M-O-L-A-I-S-O-N, at supportingkids.org, and kids has two Ds. Great. And you can also email us, and we'll um, give that to you also. So, Heidi, could you talk about, uh, we'll get back to that. You were talking about the, the teachers. The thing that I thought was fabulous was your school survival kit, especially the strategies to help integrate a child back into the classroom after a loss. Absolutely. And what newly bereaved children need from their teachers. Those are so fabulous. Those two pages are so important for for teachers. Do you want to talk a little bit about those pages, though? Sure. About what you suggest to people? Well, what we find is that schools contact us a lot um, after there's been a loss, whether it's in their school community or whether it's a parent or sibling of a child who's uh, a student in the school, and uh, they're concerned because the child's behaving strangely. <laughs> and so we, I, I do a lot of education of um, school professionals to help them get a sense of what these children's lives are like. And one of the things that we find with bereavement with children, it, in some very, very dramatic ways, it's very different from the way adults um, grieve. And um, so it's uh, confusing for grown-ups to get into the head of a child who's grieving. Now, what would you suggest to our audience if their child's having trouble in school right now after the death of the sibling? 
Well, what I would say is it's one of the most common complaints that we hear about, and um, it's just very difficult for the kids to concentrate and for them to... Math is particularly hard, I think, don't you, Hyde? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the psychologist would say that anyway. <laughs> I was thinking of my daughter who was 14 at the time. Her math teacher was giving me a few phone calls. Because that requires a lot of very focused concentration mm-hmm. and logical thinking, and that's not the part of the brain that's operating very well when you're dealing with the trauma of a premature, unexpected yeah. death. And, um, you know, kids are interesting because if you look at a bereaved child or adolescent, sometimes they don't look like they're bereaved. You can't look at them and go, oh, that person's uh, brother died. Um, Whereas a bereaved parent, it's unmistakable. You can see them in the grocery store and say there's something going on with that person. Uh And um, bereaved children and adolescents have the capacity to set that aside for brief periods and uh, go on about their daily rounds. And so that is part of what's confusing for people who are not bereaved to understand is that... um, this on-off quality of the grief work that young people have is normal and natural and helps them be able to to cope with their lives, mm-hmm. but it also uh, makes people think that the child is really using bereavement as, a, as an excuse for mm-hmm. underachieving and those types of things, and that's certainly not the case. Matter of fact, there's been a really nice longitudinal study on bereaved children uh, by Dr. Worden and, um, in Boston and part of what they found out is that children's symptoms actually are, are at their highest two years after the death of a family member. Mm, that's interesting. Common groups for folks ages 5 to 85, and uh, we're very developmentally oriented, so we make sure that kids are with other kids uh, their age, mm-hmm. and uh, each program is geared towards what the, what the concerns and interests and capabilities of that age are after there's been a death in their family. Mm-hmm. Well, when we, uh, oh, by the way, also welcome back Heidi, my new co-host. Hello. And, uh, when we went to break, we were ta- I was talking to Val about, um, how, uh, the audience, if they feel like their children, grandchildren, siblings or whatever are having problems in school, how do you approach the school? Well, you know, I think one of the most important things to do is to think of the school as a member of your team. And um, to say, we, can we rally the troops here and can we share information and try to problem solve what's the best approach for my child who's struggling. And when you do that and you come at the school with that attitude, it's amazing how um, helpful people can be. Sometimes, you know, when you become a bereaved parent or sibling, you're suddenly in a position where you're having to interpret yourself and your life to the rest of the world who doesn't know what this is like, and um, it's, it's a lot of education is required in order for people to be appropriately supportive. It's interesting, when people are not bereaved, they want to support the bereaved people in their lives, but sometimes they're just awkward and don't know the best way to do they it. They don't know how to do it. Well, you know, uh, we're feeling, uh, when you've had this kind of loss, you're feeling so out of energy, so debilitated. If we take a lady who's... Um, who sent us the email whose child's only been dead for a month. Yeah. You don't have the energy. If you could drag yourself into school and say help. It's tough. You probably, well, probably all you have to say is help. And one of the other You don't have to say, you know, a lot of other things. Well, Just, I need help. And unfortunately, support. you might be so edgy that you call the school or drag yourself into the school and say, why are you being such a jerk? Exactly. And why did you say that? Why did you say that? Why did you say that? <laughs> unfortunately. Right. 
Um, now, one of the things in the materials that I have, and I'd be happy to send anyone who contacts me a copy of, is I have sample letters. And give us your contact again. Um, Val Molazon at supportingkids.org, V-A-L-M-O-L-A-I-S-O-N. And if you Google Supporting Kids Delaware, you probably get it, too. Oh, yeah, we you? do have a, we have a fabulous website that's very informative as well. Okay, great. Um, SupportingKids.org. Um, and, you know, one, one of the things that I have in those written materials is sample letters that families can write to the people in their lives, such as coaches. And yeah, Heidi, you find those particularly interesting, uh, didn't you? Yes, because like you said, Val, sometimes you don't have the energy to create a letter when you're grieving. Right, but I do think it's important to say, here's the deal. If you don't speak up, everyone else around is going to get quiet. One of the main complaints we hear from oh. children is, why does everybody get quiet when I walk in the room? Mm-hmm. And and it's because people are trying not to distress the bereaved child, and so they don't want to talk about this or that. They don't want to upset them. Well, guess what? The worst thing in the world's already happened to them. Right. They're already upset. And so there's really nothing you can say it's going to make a bereaved child's life worse. And the chances are much greater that you're going to yeah. help in some way. Good for adults, but I'll have to say uh, one of the things that we found when we work with uh, Compassionate Friends kids is they don't always want to be different. Um, they sometimes don't want to talk about it. They're kind of double-bind with their friends. You know, they want, to, they want people to know in a way, but in a way they don't want them to know. Yeah, with peers it's particularly tricky, and, and that's why organizations like Compassionate Friends and Supporting Kids are so useful because we can get kids together with other kids who've had a similar loss, mm-hmm. and they really have a kinship, and they and they get one another. They mm-hmm. understand. And so that can be incredibly invaluable for children who are grieving the loss of a sibling. Um, but I think in terms of having teachers and other people who are in charge of your children know that this is a this is what's happening in our family, and this is what we would. This is the attitude we'd like our community to take, and this is the way we would like to do this work. Really uh, allows the people around a bereaved family to have permission to approach this and to say, you know, for example, with those math problems, uh, how about every other, you know, every odd problem instead of mm-hmm. every problem once in the homework for now. You know, reducing the quantity of the work can be really, really helpful. You know, what I'm thinking of when you talk, Val, is that it would maybe be good for someone who is um, related to the child rather than the parent at this point um, to maybe help with these issues because these are pretty heavy-duty cognitive things to ask a newly bereaved parent to do. But you might be able to get an advocate, uh, a minister or whatever, to look over this book or a friend or a neighbor or whoever, and, and help out a little bit, too. Hyde, we had some discussion points here. Did you want to ask Valerie some questions from those that we were thinking about? Maybe you want to look at it for a minute and uh, think about doing that. Okay. But uh, anyway, how about that, having somebody else help out? It's, a, it's crucial. It's crucial. You need someone who's, you know, uh, organizing, um, thinking, planning part of their brain is working very well, and that is not a newly bereaved parent, typically. No. Um, and, you know, in order to um, allow children to continue to try to hobble along as they're grappling with, you know, very traumatic circumstances, it really will need some adult uh, assistance and a, an adult who can be trusted and who can follow through on little details like this. And parents, it doesn't have to be you. No, and as a matter of fact, oftentimes it's better if it's not parents because one of the things that's interesting, when, when a child dies in a family, um, the bereavement of the parent is 
so very different in many cases than the bereavement of the children. And, you know, the role you played with the person who died is very different, and the things that are of concern to you are very different, and um, the, the what's happening in your life developmentally is very different. And so it's sometimes hard for bereaved parents and their children to uh, come to a, a, a good meeting of the mind. That's one of the things I love about Compassionate Friends, and I would recommend anybody who can to attend local, regional, or national conferences of Compassionate Friends. Oh, yeah, the Friends. conferences are wonderful. And uh, Heidi, what are you going to present this year, Heidi? I'm going to present workshops for parents that have, that have I lost children on how to help their children through the grief process, how to help their children and how to help their teens. And one thing, Valerie, that you've brought up that I just want to reiterate is that Children, like you said, children and adults do grieve very differently, and children visit grief for short periods of time, and then they go and do other things and play, and that's part of their grieving process, and that's part of their coping, and that's healthy because you don't want children to be completely overwhelmed in their grief. They need to take breaks, mm-hmm. whereas parents can stick with the grief longer. I think, actually, I would even put it another way. I wish parents had the ability that the kids have Absolutely. to be able to do that, to get relief occasionally, and it's yes. very difficult as a bereaved parent yes. to do I've, that. I've found sometimes, though, that parents get a little, sometimes they have a problem when the kids are grieving and then go out and play basketball and look okay. Sometimes it upsets them because they're saying, how can Johnny be out there when his brother just died? Mm-hmm. And it's because parents and children do grieve differently. Mm-hmm. And what, they're, what, what the loss means to them is so different, too. I mean, mm-hmm. to lose a sibling is so different from losing a child mm-hmm. um, in some real key ways. I mean, many times when a parent has lost a child, a big piece of what they have is they feel like, number one, the world has got to have gone crazy because children are not supposed to die before their parents. Right. And so there's an existential crisis about that. And then the other one is just your basic parent uh, guilt of, aren't parents here to protect and nurture their children, and how did I in some way fail to protect, even though we know that's not logical mm-hmm. always, you know, that you didn't really fail to protect. It was just an accident of fate or things happen. Right. But parents can't help but question themselves on mm-hmm. their alleged failure to protect, whereas siblings have much more, uh, you know, a wider range of potential responses. Some people may feel mostly guilty because they had a lot of conflict with that sibling. Mm-hmm. Or they may feel like, gee, I lost my best friend and my favorite playmate, or, you know, I lost the person who helped me with my homework. And so the roles that siblings play to one another are very... Uh, or it can be that I lost the person I can't stand. Yeah, absolutely. And I hated it at the time. And it was my arch enemy. And now I find out that I really feel bad that they died. I feel guilty. I feel all those emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the bereavement is very different, and one thing I like about Compassionate Friends is they have a track for bereaved siblings and a track for bereaved parents, which really, really helps siblings be able to come in and say, okay, I'm with my peeps now. I'm with people who actually know my position, and I'm not going to have to argue that my grief is better or, or different or, you know, I don't have to justify my position because I'm with other people who are also siblings who understand. And also, that. by the way, it's, an, it's a lot of it, too, is fun. I can have fun with these kids. Oh, and, you I know, we're going to play together. I can go, we're to, different, do things I can together. go to different cities and, and visit, depending on where the conference is. Exactly. It's a, very, it's a very uplifting. I mean, there are, you know, there are tense moments. There's difficult moments. There's the fabulous mm-hmm. memory wall of photos and letters that people bring in and display, and it's just wonderfully touching. Right. On the other hand, it's also, uh, you know, just so much fun. I, I led some of the uh, sibling sharings, and we just, with the adolescents and pre-adolescents, and we had a lot of laughter, a lot of fun, and just 
you could just see life coming back into people's cheeks. Well, it's also empowering because when you've had a loss, you feel victimized. You feel helpless. And when you can go into a situation, a grief group, and give back to other people that are grieving, it, it's very empowering for you and you feel like you're giving something. You're not just helpless and sitting there. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things, one of the misunderstandings the average, the, the world, the non-bereaved world has about grief is that they think it's all about feelings. And it's true that grief work does involve feelings, and they have a lot of strong feelings and a lot of mixed feelings and a lot of feelings you wish you could turn off and they won't turn off when you want them to. But grief work also involves uh, some real uh, adjusting and, you know, cognitive adjustments and ways of thinking and strategic adjustments on how you manage your life and what you're doing. And who's going to mow the lawn. And the, all this roles that you have to figure <laughs> right. out who's doing what. And when you think about bereavement in those respects, one of the reasons why it's important to focus on all those other parts is because the way in which we begin, one of the main ways in which we heal is to activate and to do and to say, look, right. despite the fact that awful things happen and sometimes I don't understand the world, uh, I have. I still have agency. I still have power. Yeah. We've got a caller, and Patricia. Patricia, are you there? Oh, yes, I am. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the show. Uh, Helene the Grieving Heart, did you have a question for us? Well, I had or sent an email um, about my son ah. and my um, grandchildren. Right. And I okay. just got some information that was really helpful as far as when my granddaughter's reacting. And my grandson, who will never know his father, that's one of my concerns, is uh-huh. there a way that I can kind of do something that might help him remember his dad. Right. Um, my okay. granddaughter, she runs in, she plays, she seems to be doing okay, but, you know, uh, we're all just kind of still in shock and not knowing what to do with this new baby. It's like, what do you do with a child who will never know their dad? Right. I remember oh, getting I'm so your glad you called, email. Patricia. Thank you for that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Val. Um, you know, I remember talking with a father who's... Um, Wife had died uh, in after as complications from childbirth, and I was speaking to him over the years and assisting him with various things that would happen. And at one point, I said, "Well, you know, bereaved children, blah blah blah." And he said, "Is my son bereaved? And uh, how can he be bereaved? He didn't know his mother." And uh, so it's a really interesting question and and a dilemma because obviously. Uh, you want with all your heart for your son to never be forgotten and um, for everyone to know about him in the way that you know about him. And certainly it will be beneficial for his children to know him, even though it may mean a lot of your helping construct him for his children. And um, so I think it's very helpful to do things like making memory books, uh, making a memory box for things that there's only one item of, like a a special memento or a videotape or something like that, and really letting kids know uh, who this deceased person is and was and what that person might be doing or saying right now if he were in the room. Because what you want the kids to know is something of the personality of the person who died, and you want them to be able to almost uh, construct uh, an image that they can use uh, that's one of the interesting, newer things we found out in grief literature way back when people thought, well, you have to let go and, and right. say goodbye and move on. And that's been one of the biggest uh, fallacies in bereavement that we've found is actually kids who cope best with the death of a family member are those who are able to maintain ties with the person who died. And if that means helping them create the knowledge of that person, great. 
But I do want to caution that you want that image and that that model of the person that you're helping the children build to be genuine, honest, and accurate. That means smelly gas, stinky feet, uh, <laughs> foul-mouthed, uh, the whole wide range of what made your son your son. And that will create a much more real and uh, and genuine image. And it's, it's really critical, number one, because uh, it's more true to life, and so kids will trust you when they tell you um, about their father because they know you'll be being honest. But secondly... Um, particularly kids, say your grandson, um, will use his father as a role model. And if your role model was perfect, um, you're not going to lot of pressure self-esteem because you will never be able to live up to a perfect person. And I think we have a tendency to speak of people who died prematurely and tragically as if they were perfect, and that creates a lot of adjustment issues for kids who are trying to live up to that. Well, Patricia, I think it's so great that you're, you know, that you're so insightful about what uh, is going on here. Heidi, I know you've been doing something on continuing bonds, they call it now. Do you have any suggestions for Patricia? Well, I, I've, I always tell parents and grandparents that will be one of the amazing and wonderful roles you can give your grandson is to let him know what his father was like. Give him memories of what his father, let him, tell him what his father was like when he was little. Mm-hmm. Um, you will be his, his memory, you will construct this person for him. He will know his father through you, like Fallon said. And I think that website that you were talking about, Dr. Horsley, you have a website. Maybe mm-hmm. I can create a website for, for my son. Oh, yes, through the Library of Life. Have you yeah. done that? No, I haven't, but I, I just thought of that. It is very that. easy. You can do it in, I did one for uh, Heidi to adopt a little baby from China in like 10 minutes, and I also have one for my son. Have you been on my uh, website? No, I just thought of that now. Yeah, go on. Yeah, go on to the website um, uh, healingthegrievingheart.org, and then click on Library of Life, and you'll see a website from my son Scott. And you're right; that would be wonderful. And for fifty dollars, it's on for a lifetime. Great. Well, and his friends, your son's friends, can go on and talk about what they missed about him, and and create memories about you know what he was like. Great. So that later on, your grandson can read those things. And you could even create some little questions for people to respond to like you know what's the funniest memory what I like the, that you know what's the goofiest thing you ever did together what was mm-hmm. what were some famous sayings of that he had uh, things like that that will be will be great um, permanent memory makers for the grandchildren mm-hmm. thanks so much I love your show it's oh, thank so you. much and take care of yourself thank you Absolutely. really take care of yourself and thanks for calling in and stay in touch that was great. Uh, they, uh, we get such wonderful emails. Okay, now uh, let's go a little bit more on talking about some of the issues that you see with families when you're working with them. Val, did you have some things you want to bring up for Hi. Um, I guess one of the questions I have for you, Val, is uh, if you could give advice to a parent, what would it be? Well, you know, um, like what Gloria just said to Patricia, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the first thing I would say is it's sort of like when, you know, when you're in an airplane and they say to, if the mask falls, you know, give yourself oxygen first before helping others. Right. Uh, there's a really important need to be able to do some basic self-care so you can get through. Initially, you're going to be in survival mode and you're going to be just barely getting through. Um, but making sure you drink water and mm-hmm. you eat some protein and you try to, to rest, even if you can't sleep, try to rest your body. Try to get a little exercise. Some of those basic self-care things, you know, listen to music. Do things that feed your soul. 
Um, uh, you know, rent a tearjerker movie if you feel numb and you feel like you need to cry. Rent a comedy if you want to laugh and cry. Um, find things that, uh, you know, surround yourself with people that are uplifting. Um, you know, and one of the things, I know it's a big responsibility for a bereaved parent, but, um, you know, you don't have a lot of respite because if you still have children to raise or even if your children are raised or nearly raised, they still need you. You're still their parent. And it's very hard to uh, to function enough to get by and still know you have the care of other people that of responsibility as well. And um, I think you have to take care of yourself so you can do some of that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't do a lot of good if you're you know totally unhealthy and breaking yeah. down and all that. You really it's hard. You have to take care of yourself, and I think you also have to ask people for help. I was going to say that way. exactly thing that and you know. When people, uh, what people will, will say to you after you've had uh, the death of a child or a sibling is, let me know if there's anything I can do. And you go, okay. Well, you'd feel like they're not being genuine because everybody says the same thing and then people disappear initially, you know, after the initial assistance that you get. And so bereaved parents often get angry, like, yeah, so much for my, uh, my world of, of support. Well, the thing is that it's going to take a certain amount of you deciding, I encourage bereaved parents to say, okay, who makes the best pie of every <laughs> friend or family member you have? Call them and ask them to make yeah. you a pie. But, you know, one of the problems is early on, and I'm not saying you can't do that a little later, but early on you don't have the energy to pick up a phone. And one of the things that I, I, I wish we could get out to the world is don't say, call me. Say, I'm going to bring this over. That's Do it. And I Go just, mow their lawn. I have actually, I wrote, I wrote or some written materials called After the First Wave, How to Help uh, Loved Ones Who Have Experienced a Loss. And it, it, what I hope to do is have bereaved families hand that paper. Mm-hmm. Like that. I like that. I loved your letter. And, you know, hand, you know, you've got a letter written in your booklet. People could Xerox that off oh, sure. and hand it to them and a note that says, you know, help. <laughs> you know, if you want to do something for me, don't call me. Do it. Yeah, just do it. You know, exactly. do it. offer to do my laundry for well, goodness' sake. Well, offer to do things that need to be done. People, people said to me, form. you know, some of the 9/11 family said to me they went out during a snowstorm after a snowstorm and someone had shoveled their walk in their driveway without asking. Right, and it's the most touching thing. Yeah, just do it. People, at Christmas time, um, we had um, a secret Santa just drop stuff off, you know, and we went to the door to see what was there, you know, and and we never thanked him because we didn't know who it was. It was fabulous. Isn't that great? <laughs> we didn't have to write any thank you notes because we didn't know who did. And, and taking their kids if they, you know, babysitting. You know, yep. Give the parents a break. Right, and if you don't, if you don't feel like you have it in you to provide, the fun, you know, some of the fun that little kids need and the noise and the chaos that they need, you know, try to find somebody who will take them to the movies or go bring them somewhere goofy. Around the holidays is particularly challenging. We have a big family party every year for any families who are bereaved that would like to come, and we have a magician, and we get really silly, and we do arts and crafts. And I love silly. I love silly. We need more silliness and whatever. Yeah. We do. And, you know, that's one of the blessings of having young children around that we still need to take care of after we've had a death in the family because they're going to make us uh, live. Get up, right. Exactly. Even if we don't want to, they're going to have a way of, of having bringing that spark into a room and making us pay attention to life. Mm. Val, I had a question. Um, are there differences, do you see differences in gender differences in who comes in for help? And is there a different way in which males and females grieve? It's a big mm. question, and I'll try to give you a relatively small answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yes, there are uh, a lot of individual differences in general regarding uh, how people grieve. And um, although it's not the case for every person, we do tend to see patterns where women tend to be more uh, interested in talking and have more access to their feelings and seek out support more readily and so forth. Uh, on, the, and on the other hand, uh, men tend to uh, focus more on wanting to do something, to do something to make the situation better, to do something to create change. Um, and so sometimes it's difficult for men and women, males and females, to understand one another when they're grieving because of the way in which they do it is so different. Um, there are some pretty good books, and we have a nice lending library at Supporting Kids, and I can recommend for anyone who wants to contact me specifically. But we have some pretty and good And give books. them that contact again. Um, it's Val Molazon at SupportingKids.org, V-A-L-M-O-L-A-I-S-O-N, at SupportingKids.org with two Ds. And you also have a web page. And the website is Supporting Kids. Uh, .org. Great. And um, so, you know, in the old days when people were first trying to understand what this whole, what's normal in grief and so forth, people thought, well, men just don't know what they're doing. Well, that was because we were researching women, elderly women whose husbands died. That's what a lot of the original research was about. And so what we decided was normal was what elderly women whose husbands died mm -hmm. would be normal. And we've had to, to really, really inspect ourselves as a uh, people who study bereavement uh, scientifically to say, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this logic, you know. And we begin to understand now that there's different ways of approaching and doing this and that there's a wide range of what's normal and that it's not abnormal if a person doesn't want to talk a lot about their feelings. It's not abnormal if a person wants to go and, uh, you know, do something that seems illogical like build a boat. Um, <laughs> you know, we just have different ways of doing this. Right. And do you see any gender differences with kids? When it comes to working with kids, you do see a lot of differences, particularly among the adolescents. Uh, probably the, the trickiest kids to know how you're benefiting is adolescent males. Mm. Uh, because developmentally they're at a point where, you know, it's important to be tough and cool and to not to only stand out if it means you're looking really good. Mm -hmm. or you're really athletic, not, you know, because you're bereaved or because you're sad or something like that or angry. And so you do see a lot of, um, uh, a lot more silence and a lot more reluctance to participate in the types of um, information and support that are typically available for kids who are bereaved. Um, but, you know, one of our ground rules in our support groups is you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. You just have to come. Mm -hmm. And um, the, we find across the board, I've been uh, at Supporting Kids for nine years, Across the board, um, people, no matter their gender or age, can be helped by being with other people who are in a similar situation because a big part of the work is finding out by exploring what is it that's universal mm -hmm. about our grief and our losses, regardless of the You know, that's not, I was going to say that one of the things we forget is that there are more commonalities about how we grieve than there are differences. Absolutely. But I think what people find is that when they compare and contrast and they're constantly saying, oh, I'm different in this way, oh, I'm the same in this way, and they're constantly like holding a mirror up and moving it around and trying to figure out what do we have in common and what's different, what do we have in common and what's different, that's what helps people to feel comfortable in their own skin again. And telling their story. Because they realize that there are some universals and they realize that there's some things that aren't universal, and it's soothing, believe it or not, 
to recognize that I'm both unique and the same. Right. Well, you know, before we end our show, um, I wanted to ask you, is there anything that you feel that uh, we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about before the end? Well, you know, I think that I I would love it if bereaved parents could be kind to themselves Mm. and not judge themselves. Um, It's a very, very disorienting time uh, when you have a child die. Even if the child was sick a long time and you knew it was coming, it doesn't matter. It just is is so overwhelming. And what we find parents doing is saying, Oh, I'm such an idiot. I locked my keys, you know, in the car. Or what's the matter with me? I can't get up to get my kids to school. And we hear a lot of negative self-talk and a lot of, you mm. know, really berating themselves. And uh, we try to to say, you know, this is normal what you're doing, but we want you to know that you're doing this to yourself and to be aware that it's not that there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with your life circumstances. Right. And we, uh, I always think, you know, of, of the people that I work with as being regular everyday people who have had irregular, horrific things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to reflect that back to the families I work with because they feel so abnormal, and they're not. Right. Well, I want to um, close the show on that note of, of Val has about taking care of yourself. And I, I just wanted to um, just uh, say that she has these fabulous booklets, and, and what are and well, they're, they're wonderful. And what are they called? One is? One of them is Tools for Healthy Grieving, Survival Kit for Families. And, and the other one? is uh, um, Coping with Grief in the Schools. And they are absolutely first rate. They're wonderful. And I would highly recommend that you try to get a hold of those. And Val said that you could do that through uh, contacting her. Again, do you want to give us your website? Val Molazon at supportingkids.org is my email. And the website is supportingkids.org. Right, and this is out of Delaware. And Val, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Val. I'm very appreciative. It's just been great, and uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I know you're a benefit to our audience. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.